We're going to get started. I have to warn you, um, my boys prayed for me this morning and Carter said, dear God, please make daddy preach for a long, long time. So that's good news for you guys. And uh, so we better get started. But we're continuing our series this week on Under Pressure. And uh, I thought we would sing the Queen song, but I forgot to organize it in time. Uh, but it's a, it's a great series, I feel, about, you know, how do we... How do we react and live in a life under pressure and still be salt and light to the world that we live in? And whenever I think of under pressure, for some reason, my mind goes straight to a submarine movie. And I think about that in a, there's a movie, U571. It's a, a fictional movie about a German U-boat that gets uh, commandeered by the Americans and, uh, and, and at one point, they're, they're trying to dive really deep to get away from being attacked. And, and I, I remember it gets to this point, and it happens so often in, in most submarine movies where, where they get to a point and, and someone says, you know, this is the maximum depth that we can go and still be safe. But for whatever reason, to make the movie more, more epic, they've got to go a little bit further. And, you know, the submarine starts to buckle and things start to break and, and the, the lives of those on board uh, begin to be, be threatened by the, the pressure of the ocean around them. And, and that, that's what I think about in this, in this series is that, that it, when, when we live our life and we come to those times of pressure and things are buckling us and we've gone deeper than maybe we ever thought we could go, then it's those times that, that whatever comes up out of us is, you know, is it still something that is salt and light to the world that we live in? You only need to place your thumb on a hard surface and bring a hammer towards it at an ever-increasing velocity and, uh, and squash it between those, you know, add some pressure to your thumb with that hammer to find out what's kind of going on inside you and maybe remember some words that you used to say. But these things happen. And, uh, and so in this, this current series, and, and this is our final week, but we're looking at the lives of some Old Testament heroes and seeing how they handled life under pressure and uh, when they were squeezed and squashed and what came out of them. James 1 verse 12 says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Life there means uh, life real and genuine, a life active and vigorous, devoted to God. And Mel and I have come to the conclusion with, with our life, and this, this is just something for us, that, that life is about striving. Not, not about living a life that's always struggling, but a life that is, that is striving and always having to... Uh, uh, not struggle, but realizing that devotion to God and living a life that chases God and, and the things that he would have for us is, is about accepting the reality of a battle that we live in. You know, I think about Ephesians 6 verse 10 that says, Finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power talking about being strong and, and, and then about putting on the full armor of God. And I think we've realized for our life personally, not for everyone, just, just for us, that, that there would not be a need 
to call us to wear our armour and to always be fully equipped if life was meant to be cruisy and comfortable, if life was meant to be easy, but instead a life that is fully devoted to following God and chasing God for the plans and the purposes that he has positioned us for is, is accepting a life that is always going to be striving, never reaching the point of feeling comfortable and, and I guess cruisy, but always being ready for battle, always having the armor of God on as we go and be salt and light in the world. And there will be times that we face where there will be great pressure. And it's those times that we want to ensure that we are still salt and light to the worlds that we are influencing and, and being around. I, uh, I came home from work on Wednesday night. I, I work late and I have an amazing boss who, uh, who let us watch the football on Wednesday night. Thanks, Pete. And, uh, and, but I left it, I left it half time. And uh, so, you know, the way things are going, it didn't really matter. And I, I rushed home and, and I came in through the front door and uh, I noticed the house was quiet. I thought, this isn't right. And I, and I was getting ready to come around the corner into the bedroom and kind of scold Mel, you know, why isn't the football on? I've rushed home legally, speed limit the whole way to get home in time to, to see the football. And, and I had to stop myself because as I came around the corner, there she is on the bed with a Bible, a journal and iPad and music going. And, and I'm like, can we watch the football? And she's like, no, I have to share this revelation that I've had. So as, as she began to share with me, I am um, was secretly checking the live updates on my phone, but she was she was talking about uh, Gideon, and and here's a great Old Testament hero, not the one we're going to look at today. But so often we look at the story of Gideon and 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 kind of stop when his three hundred soldiers defeat Midian. But a chapter or two over, there's this there's this amazing verse that I, I find really challenging. It's Judges 8 verse 4 and it says, Gideon and his 300 men, exhausted yet keeping up the pursuit, came to the Jordan and crossed it. Exhausted from battle yet keeping up the pursuit into what had, what God had called them for. That is the life of salt and life, salt and light. That is the life that lives, loves and pursues even under pressure even when, when life gets difficult, when the challenges come and we feel exhausted from this calling that we have as individuals and as a church to go and be salt and light, but still during those times, exhausted, yet keeping up the pursuit into what God had called them. So although Gideon is a great example, this morning I want to have a look at the story of Samson from the Old Testament. And for wildfire, this is a bit of a double dose because you heard a little bit of this a couple of weeks ago. But I want to look at a man who was a part of the battle of life, a man who was purposed and positioned to do something by God, but perhaps didn't hold up as well as he could have or should have under the pressure that was around him. So I want to have a look at what put him in the place of giving in to the pressure and unpack that a little bit this morning. Now, Samson is the story of a man who was uh, chosen by God to lead the nation of Israel. Um, but he was a man, like many of us, who had weaknesses and, and made mistakes along that way. He's, uh, an angel appeared to his mother and said, you're going to have a baby. 
and uh, he's to be a Nazarite, which meant that he had a few conditions about his life that he, that he had to do. He had to stay away from wine and from grapes. He, uh, he had to not cut his hair or his beard, and he had to avoid contact with dead bodies. So basically, he was the original hipster. When Samson grew up, uh, the things of the world kind of took hold of him and, and he moved away from those things. He ended up marrying a Philistine girl, which was the enemy. Uh, led to a confrontation where the only way to describe it is he went into absolute beast mode, picked up the jawbone of a donkey and killed a thousand men. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty good effort. I couldn't even do that on an Xbox, let alone in real life. But we're going to study a, a chapter of, from Judges of his life this morning and, and have, a, have a read of the Word of God and see what we can learn from his life about maybe some of the mistakes or the things that he could have or should have done better when he was living a life under pressure to still maintain being salt and light and to still live out the, the purpose that God had, the reason why he had been born at that time. When I shared this at Wildfire, I, I admitted to them my confusion regarding onions. I mean, have you ever thought about how terrible onions are? I mean, out of all the things that appear in your vegetable crisper right now in your fridge at home, onions are like the only vegetable in there that doesn't like to play well with others. They're the ones that misbehave. They're the ones that influence all the other ones. I mean, onions are, I understand that they're important to cooking and adding flavor, but I don't get them. Number one, they make people cry. And I think that's really unfair. Why do we want to keep something around in our life, in our food that just makes you cry all the time? Secondly, if anyone ever eats a decent amount of onions, you know they have eaten onions. Because in more ways than one, Sometimes, you know that they have been around onions, they stink. And thirdly, they make other things around them stink. It smells like onions. It's terrible. A couple of years ago, we were having a celebration at our house. And I can't remember the, um, the, the, the exact details of it. But I do remember that I had the job of putting onions into our garage fridge that had been cut up for dinner to cook on a barbecue or something like that. And, and I, I didn't put, you know, put the lid on the Tupperware container or put Glad Wrap over it or something. I just thought, no, there's a job. Onions into the fridge. So into the garage fridge they went. My mother-in-law arrived with a, with a trailer load, literally, of, um, of delicacies and desserts for the party, as she does, and one of them being a lemon meringue pie, which I'm very partial to. And... Uh, and and they went into the garage fridge as well. Now, fast forward a couple of hours and at dessert time, I was not a very popular guy. Because that lemon meringue pie no longer tasted like lemons. It was more of an onion meringue pie. Because I'd left the lid off the onions in the garage fridge. And everything in that fridge that had been in there for a couple of hours stunk and tasted disgustingly like onions. And I still ate it anyway because I like lemon meringue pie. But uh, I think that's a, a lesson that we can learn from Samson and something about our own life is that if we hang around onions, then our life is going to begin to stink like onions as well. 
If we end up in the vegetable crisper or in the garage fridge with a bunch of smelly, fumy onions, then our life is going to begin to reflect that in our own. We're going to no longer taste like a very nice lemon meringue pie. We're going to taste more like an onion meringue pie that gets Adam in a lot of trouble. And in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 13, it says, Don't be fooled by those who say such things, for bad company corrupts good character. In other words, onions make other things stink and taste like onions. And I want to have a look at that in Samson's life because he was a man who put himself into positions and hung around with the wrong kind of vegetables in the fridge crisper. And his life began to reflect those things. And when he, when he lived a life that was under pressure for who he was and who he had been called to do, those things started to, to come out in him. We can have a read of that in Judges 16, starting from verse 1. And we're going we're gonna to skip a few verses as we move through this for the sake of time. But it says, One day Samson went to the Philistine town of Gaza and spent the night with a... Um, you can read it up there. Word soon spread that Samson was there, so the men of Gaza gathered together and waited all night at the town gates. They kept quiet during the night, saying to themselves, when the light of morning comes, we will kill him. Now, I don't get this, because Samson was from the nation of Israel, and he was, he was born with a purpose, to free the people from the Philistines that were oppressing them. They weren't just their enemy. They were two neighbors over the fence having an argument every now and then about car parking or something like that. But they were an, a nation that was coming and oppressing them, stealing their crops, burning their crops, killing their cattle, killing their people, taking over their land. And here's Samson, born with a purpose to lead the nation of Israel and protect them from the enemy. And we read here in verse 16 that the place he went to Chapter 16, verse 1. He went to the Philistine town of Gaza and spent the night with a lady. He was in the wrong place at the wrong time. He was finding his rest and his recreation in the city of his enemy instead of in the place where he was intended to be. He was so arrogant and so confident that he was unbreakable that the times that he took his rest, the times that he went for a reward or, or recreation, he actually went into the camp, into the city of the enemy and spent his time there. And I think that's a great question to ask ourselves when we face a life under pressure. Where are we finding our rest, our recreation, our reward? Where are we spending time when we take ourselves out of the battle, are we spending it in the presence of God? Are we spending it in the place where God wants us to be? Or are we finding ourselves in the camp, in the city of the enemy, sleeping in the wrong places, resting in the wrong houses, when we are planned and purposed to be something else? There's a great scripture that we, we use often, John 10.10. 10, we say, Jesus came to give a rich and satisfying life. But the first part of that sentence says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's the reality of the battle. Being a follower of Jesus is, is yes, about 
looking to obtaining that rich and satisfying life that he has promised us that we will obtain. But in accepting that, we also need to accept that we are in a battle where the enemy is doing everything it can to steal, kill, and destroy from our life. So when it comes to who we hang out with, where we spend our time, are we spending time in the, in the way that Jesus wants us to live, in working towards obtaining that rich and satisfying life? Because the moment we step out of that, the moment we step into the land of the enemy and start doing things that go outside the will of God or start doing things that we don't want anyone to know about, then we are in a position where something is there, the enemy is there trying to steal, kill, and destroy our entire life. So where are we resting our head? Where are we finding that relaxation, that rejuvenation, that rest? Is it in the presence of God, in the will of Jesus, working towards a rich and satisfying life, or are we stepping out of that, playing around with fire in the, in the enemy's camp that is doing nothing but trying to steal, kill, and destroy everything that it, there is about us. We jump down to verses 5. Maybe 4. Sometime later, Samson fell in love with a woman named Delilah, who lived in the valley of Sorek. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, Entice Samson to tell you what makes him so strong. And how he can be overpowered and tied up securely. Then we will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me what makes you so strong and what it would take to tie you up securely. She didn't really sound like a man. I'm sure she had a a sweet voice, but I I can't hit that octave this morning. Samson replied, If I were tied up with seven new bowstrings, that have not yet been dried. I would become weak as the average man. So the Philistine rulers brought Delilah seven new bowstrings and she tied Samson up with them. She had hidden some men in one of the inner rooms of her house and she cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. But Samson snapped the bowstrings as a piece of string snaps when it is burned by a fire. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. And this goes on a few times. She, she tries a few, you know, tell me, and, and he, he gives her some suggestions. And each time he, he gets up and saves the day. And then we get to verse 15. Then Delilah pouted. In other words, Samson is now in trouble. And then comes the winner. How can you tell me I love you? When you don't share your secrets with me, you made fun of me three times now and you still haven't told me what makes you so strong. The second thing that Samson could have done better in his life was who he allowed himself to listen to or who he allowed to speak into his life at a time when he was under pressure and going through a challenging time in his life. We read here so many times, did she try and try and try? And each time he listened a little bit more to the point where she pouted and it was 
all over and done with. You know, the question for us is when we are going through pressure in our life, what voices are we listening to? You know, are we looking at Google? Are we looking to social media for the answers to the things that are going on in our life? Are we listening to advice of people who, who may be lovely people but may not have been on the right side of things for us? Are they people who have been conquerors in this thing as well? Or are we listening to the voice of God in our life, the, the people that are surrounded in our church family, we're looking to the Word of God. When we're going through a time of life, when we are under pressure, what voices are we listening to? Who are we allowing to speak? Where are we finding our wisdom in life? Proverbs 13 verse 20 says, Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. I can tell you that in times when you are living a life under pressure, the best thing that you can do is surround yourself with people of wisdom. People that you will find in your church, in your life group, in leadership. People who are going to speak wisdom into the situation you are in, not give you advice that comes from the side of the camp that is doing everything it can to steal, kill and destroy. But you need to look for the voices in your life that are coming from that abundant life that Jesus wants for us in the rich and satisfying life and listen to that. There are things that you won't find on Google. You won't find on Facebook. You'll find them in the house of God, in the word of God, in the people that God has placed around your life. We jump down to verse 16, and, and this is the one that potentially gets me in trouble because it says, she tormented him with her nagging. That was, okay, I'm done. Uh, day after day until he was sick to death of it. Day after day, she nagged him. If you read this chapter, and I encourage you to, one of the last times that he torments her with saying, this is where my strength is. He actually comes so close to giving it away. He tells her that it's to do with his hair. And if, if my hair is braided in seven braids, then all my strength will be gone. He, he pushes the line as far as he can towards actually getting to the point where he gave in and told her that if he loses his hair. You know, it's the, the fact that he compromised but he didn't do it in one big decision. He did it small decision after small decision. I had a friend once describe this to me, how in our life we, we, we don't compromise our big decisions or when we're under pressure by one thing. It's the small decisions we've made along the way. The little compromises, the I'll just do it this one time or, or no one will find out about it or it'll be okay this time or I'll only do this little bit and I won't go any further. It's those decisions that actually bring us to the point of completely giving in to the nagging that happens in our life. And my friend, I said life, not wife. My friend described it to me as this. He said, imagine an army invading a beach and up on the hills is the enemy and they're well positioned and they've got the best position to, uh, to, to win this battle. But the army that's coming in on the beach doesn't simply just run all the way up the hill and try and take over the enemy. They move forward bit by bit. 
They advance onto the beach. They dig trenches. They build bunkers. They move their forces up to that line. They establish a a strong point there and then they move forward again. They get to the bottom of the hills and they do the same thing and then they start to move up the hill bit by bit until eventually they conquer the army that is their enemy and they win the beach. They take over that territory and the same thing happens in our life. When we give in to the the nagging or the pressure that comes from the side of the camp that is there to steal, kill and destroy us, it doesn't happen by one big decision. It happens by letting them move up the beach bit by bit, playing with fire just a little bit, small compromise upon small compromise until before we know it, the enemies come. As we're about to read our, our head, we lose our hair, we lose our strength, and, and it's all done. Before we know it, we've gone too far, and we didn't even notice that we stink like onions. Verse 21, he's captured. He's given away his secret to Delilah. She shaves, they come in, shave off his hair, loses all his strength. So the Philistines captured him and gouged out his eyes. They took him to Gaza where he was bound with bronze chains and forced to grind grain in the prison. You see, that's the problem with smelling like onions. You lose your vision. You end up feeling that life is all about hard labor. You end up feeling in in prison. I wonder, have you lost your vision for your life? Have you found yourself in a position, and this this word may be exactly for you this morning, that through the the small decisions that we've made that have led to big compromises or or placing ourselves into the, the, the wrong influences in our life or finding ourselves in the enemy's camp, have you found yourself in a position in your life where life is tough? where it feels like hard labor, where you feel like you're imprisoned and you hear things like that Jesus said in John 10, I'm going to give you a rich and satisfying life and you think, you know what, I can never see that happening in my life. So that's the position that we can end up in if we're under pressure. And these three things, these three poor decisions that Samson's made that we so often emulate in our own life, we find ourselves in that exact place where we've lost our vision, where life is hard and where we feel like we're in prison. But I love one thing about Samson. I love lots of things. But I love that it didn't matter these mistakes that he'd made in his life. Because as we read on in the chapter... The Bible tells us that Samson achieved more after his mistakes than he did in the whole 20 years that he ruled and led the nation of Israel. In those 20 years, all these three things that he did incorrectly that led him to the place of having a life where he couldn't see any hope, having a life that was hard labor and feeling imprisoned by the mistakes that he made, His freedom from that that we're about to read about actually meant that in that short amount of time afterwards until he gave his life for it, 
he achieved more in that time than he did in the whole 20 years. You see, you might be in a position where your vision has been taken and you cannot see that any of this is even possible for your life. But the reality is, when you allow God to come back in, when you follow a few things that Samson's about to demonstrate for us, your life, regardless of what you've done, regardless of the mistakes that you've made, regardless of whether you feel like the game is over, you still have the opportunity to do even more after those mistakes than you have done in your entire life. Judges 16, 22. Oh, I love this verse. This, this, is, this has become one of, my, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, having read this the last few weeks. I might get um, Phil to come up while we read it. I, I think of this like this amazing Hollywood moment. I, I, I watch too many movies, so I, I think about things like movies. But I want you to imagine this. Here's, here's Samson. In, and in, he's being captured. He's feeling obviously like done. He went from being the ruler, being the man, being the hero, to now having no vision, no eyes, grinding grain in a prison, working hard labor. And I imagine if it was a movie, that, that, that would be like, you'd, you'd think it was the final scene of the movie, like this was it for Samson. The music would be depressing. There'd be memories flashing of how he used to be, the things that he'd done, and it'd go back to him in this dungeon grinding grain, and it would, it would come to black, and you'd expect the titles to come up. You think that's it for Samson's life, but then verse, oh, that was very, that was good timing. Straight in. Verse 22 Just when you think the movie's over, just when you think it's done, the words come up on the screen and the narrator says, probably I'm thinking Morgan Freeman, but before long, his hair began to grow back. Yes, the Philistine rulers held a great festival, offering sacrifices and praising their God Dagon. They said, our God has given us victory over our enemy, Samson. When the people saw him, they praised their God saying, our God has delivered our enemy to us. The one who killed so many of us is now in our power, half drunk by now and not a street safe team in sight. The people demanded, bring out Samson so he can amuse us. So he was brought from the prison to amuse them and they had him stand between the pillars supporting the roof. Samson said to the young servant who was leading him by the hand, place my hands against the pillars that hold up the temple. I want to rest against them. Now the temple was completely filled with people. All the Philistine rulers were there. About 3,000 men and women on the roof who were watching as Samson amused them. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me again. Oh God, please strengthen me just one more time. With one blow, let me pay back the Philistines for the loss of my two eyes. Then Samson put his hands on the two center pillars that held up the temple. Pushing against them with both both hands, he prayed, let me die with the Philistines. And the temple crashed down. So he killed more people when he died than he had during his whole life. There's three things that Samson did. 
right in this very moment, that when his hair began to grow back, when he turned his life back to God, that gave him the opportunity to do more in that last days of his life than he did in his whole entire rule. Three things that even when the enemy wanted to torment him, wanted to be amused by the fact that they thought that they had taken his vision, three things that he did really quickly. Number one, he allowed himself to be guided. A small boy guided him towards the temple. You know, in our life, when we're going through these things, we need to allow ourselves to be guided. Get into a life group like those guys told us about. Be in church. Let the Word of God guide you in your life. Don't Google things. Be guided by the right things in our life. Secondly, He placed His hands upon the pillars. You know, to, to live the life that God has purposed for us and to achieve everything that He wants, He's already given us everything he's, that we need. He's given us an ability to communicate with Him. He's given us the Word of God to teach us what is wrong with our lives and instruct us what is good. He's given us the Holy Spirit to be our helper and our comforter. We need to keep our hands on the pillar of those things as we go through those times in our life when we are under pressure. We need to keep them there. And thirdly, He was willing to give His life. Physically, He gave His life, but for us, It's more about giving our life to God, that devoted life that is the crown that Jesus has for us. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, We have been bought with a price, so honour God with your bodies. This life that we have, it's not our own. We've got to give it to God, give it back to Him. Those are the three things that can take us from the place of being without vision hard labour, imprisoned in the mistakes and the things that we're faced in our life to achieving everything and more that God intended for us. When we allow ourselves to be guided, when we keep our hands on the pillars and when we give our life to what God wants for us. I, we, I think it's an absolute privilege that both Mel and I have to stand side by side with a bunch of young adults on Friday nights and serve the next generation of young people. And I tell you why that is. It's because, it's because they say no. Because they say no. They say no to living a life that is their own. They say no to the invites to go and do things for themselves. They say no to going away for weekends because they know in their life that they have been called and purposed to lead the nation of young people in this region to freedom from the enemy. And they say no to everything else for that. Young, people, young adults who are willing to give their life, give their life for teenagers. And we have this moment at the beginning of, um, at the beginning of this year where we, we always take time at the beginning of each term to look at what God wants to do, talk about the term. We got our journals out at the beginning of the year and, and Beck, I'll get you to come up while I tell this story. 
And, and we said, you know what, let's create an even when it hurts statement. Because right now at the beginning of the year when we're not under pressure, we're full of vision, we're full of excitement for the year. We're full of expectation about what God is going to do for the young people of our city this year. And we said, open up your journal in the cover, page one, write it down. Because right now, your life is not under pressure. But there's going to come a time this year when you're going to feel tired in the pursuit. There's going to come a time this year when there's a when there's a feeling like you want to step away from it, when, when the pressure is so great that maybe being salt and light is a little bit too difficult at the moment and, and you're going to step away. And so we write this moment down, even when it hurts. And in those times, we open up our journal and we read it and we remember why we do what we do, why we don't find our R&R in the camp of the enemy, why we don't Google for answers, but we look to what the Word of God says, why we don't compromise our decisions, why we do allow ourselves to be guided, why we do keep our hands on the pillars, and why we do give our life every time it's requested of us for whatever it is that God has called us to do. And as we finish this morning, I know Carter's prayer has been answered and I've preached for a long time. But I want to I sing this song by United that is, even when it hurts, I'll still praise you. Even when it hurts. And I want us as a church to, however you want to do it this morning, whether you need to write it down, whether you want to just pray about it, whether you just want to speak it, but find that even when it hurts moment for your life so that when the pressure comes, when you are tired, you do not give up the pursuit of where God needs you to cross into the promised land and do what He has for you because there is a world that needs you to be salt and light. And you need that moment, you need that statement that even when it hurts, even when I'm tired, I will still pursue. So can I pray for you and then can we worship and can you have that moment with God, whether you write it down, whether you remember it, whatever it takes. Let's stand. Lord, we... We're in awe of the fact that you would use us to be your vessels in this world. And Lord, in this moment this morning, would you reignite the passion in our heart, the statement in our mind that says, even when it hurts, we will not give in to the pressure. We will not compromise. We will follow you. We will pursue the enemy for the freedom of the people around us that need it. Lord, I pray for our church this morning that you would reignite that passion in our heart or for those who have never heard your voice, who have lost the vision in their life. Lord, I pray that you restore it this morning, that you give them a hope and a dream, that you unlock the calling in their life for the purpose and the promise for why you have them run. 
And Lord, that this place would be salt and light to this city and beyond. That so many people would come to the knowledge of their Lord and Saviour. The freedom that they can have because of the influence of this church as we go into our worlds. Lord, we pray. We ask, fill us with hope, with passion. Burn something greater in our lives this morning as we go. We thank you, Lord. Amen.